0: Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us. As we've just finished singing, help us to be reminded of your incredible love for us and for the completed work That our sin and our guilt can be removed. That we can be innocent because of the completed work of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would help us in these next few moments as we again talk about love. Lord, that we might see and know your love for us. and seeing your example and your model. Lord, that we might worship you with our lives, being transformed into your likeness. God, help us not to miss an opportunity to respond or miss an opportunity to glorify you but instead help us to worship you through our response of your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> because, uh, because I'm a sinner, I'm going to join you guys as sinners also, okay? Because I'm going to talk about this morning uh, the, the, the next points from 1 Corinthians 13, what love is not... And uh, what I see most often in my own self is uh, the description of love found in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, describes what biblical love is. And then it gets to a point, Paul gets to this point, uh, these kind of four or five points here, describing what love is not. And this is where it really gets really difficult. So we've talked about for the past two weeks about patient love and kind love, putting those into practice. That's kind of an uplifting, uh, encouraging thing. But then we get to this point where Paul's like, let me just remind you for a moment, of what love is is not and so because I feel like uh, I'm the lead or chief center in this uh, I'm just going to join you on the floor here this morning okay so have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump you remember some quotes from Forrest Gump maybe you've seen it it's not a it's not a biblically accurate movie it's not it's a it's not a Christian movie by any by any sense uh, of the matter Uh, but there is something that Forrest Gump says in there that I think applies to what we're talking about he says uh, that he's not a smart man but he knows what love is you know that, you've, you've heard that. I'm not going to use his accent, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, he came to the grips with, with his life that, hey, I'm not that smart of a guy, but I know what love is. And so because of that, I'm going to apply that to my life, and I'm going to model that or demonstrate that to, uh, to the world or to the people I have a relationship with. Think about for a moment here your idea of love. Like where are you getting the idea of love? How you're putting it into practice? How you're showing it to your to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, uh, to your employees, to uh, to your your grandkids, to whoever it is, your spouse. Where are you getting this idea of love from? Who are you modeling after? We've talked about that before. I asked you the question before. Who is it that you're modeling your life after? Like have you learned about love through someone probably? And are you modeling love after them? So am I loving you like my granddad loves me or am I loving my 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 wife Mandy uh, like my dad loved my my mom or loves my my mom am I loving my children like my parents loved me or or do I have another model that's given me an idea of what love what love is or what love looks like sometimes we get it from books sometimes we read great romantic books about vampires and we think that's what love should be about, you know? Or maybe we read uh, or we see a movie uh about a country singer who had a love for uh for country music but then hopped off the stage and went and found or reminded himself what true love looks like and he gets on a stage with a guitar and a and a stool and he sings his love out about crossing his heart, you know, because he he really remembers what love truly is. M- maybe maybe just maybe uh you get your your idea of love from a weekly newspaper or a weekly magazine. Or maybe you see somebody's status update on Facebook and you say, you know what? I may not be a smart man, <laughs> but I know what love is, and I'm going to start using that in my, in my own life. I don't know. My hope is this, that if you're uh, wanting to mature in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus or desire to be a follower of Jesus, that 1 Corinthians 13 would just be your foundation, would be your basis of defining what love is. As followers of Jesus, we're wanting to grow up. Um, as we'll see at the end of chapter 13, Paul even recognizes that. He says, hey, I want to grow up. I, I no longer want to be a child. But instead, I want to be a mature follower of Jesus. And so I want to throw away or get rid of childish thinking, and I want to be mature in thought. I want to be mature in love. Men, for a second, I mean, don't you love it? And I'm not saying this has happened in my house ever, but don't you love it when your spouse or someone says to you, you're being childish? You're acting like a child right now. Don't you love love that? There's a there's a country singer named Curtis Grimes. He's got a song uh, that's titled "Right About Now," and it's all about that. Like you, you put your foot down. You are correct. But look at her now. Is this really what you want? Love your example of love to to be about. Uh, we we don't men I know women you're also the same way even kids like you don't want to be called child childish when somebody calls you a child uh, like I say to our little girls a lot I'm like hey baby girl and uh, Emma will often correct me I'm not a baby anymore I'm like okay yeah but this this is a it's a it's a sign of affection like I love you like I'm you're my little baby girl No, I'm not a baby anymore Dad we don't want to be called babies or children anymore. But how often do we model, and I think this is why Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, presents us these things that love is not. He, he He's beginning to see how believers in the Corinthian church who who understood or had an example of this Christ's love and were supposed to be modeling this for the world, they knew the Shema, they knew love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. They knew the second great commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. They knew these things, and so because of that, Paul had to correct them and say, you've forgotten what true Christ-like or biblical love looks like or the example of it, and you're beginning to act as childish people. You're beginning to act as children in the way that they love. I mean, you've probably experienced it maybe as a child or as a parent or grandparent or teacher or in some way you've seen it in the grocery store line or something, the way a a child loves. Hey, Daddy, I I love you. I, mean, I, I, I know you love me. And you take away seconds. Hey, Daddy, can I have seconds? No, you can't have seconds. You're mean. I don't love you anymore. I'm just taking it away. Look, like, you don't need seconds. You don't, you don't need 13 brownies. Like You don't need that. Well, you don't love me. No, that's not how love works, son or daughter. I mean, you you see that often. Childish, childish love. And so as we're talking about these things that love is not, I want you to think about how children act this way, right? Just real quickly, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says this, Love is patient and love is kind. We talked about those already. And here's what love is not. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in truth. So we just labeled the things that children, how children love. Children love to be, uh, I wish I had those toys. They're envious. Uh, I, my parents are the worst. Like my friends get everything. Have you seen their cell phones? Have you seen their toys? Have you seen their playhouse? Have you seen all the things they're envious uh, they're rude. I mean, how many, how many of you know, like I had the conversation just this week, uh, one of our kids, lovely lovely children of mine who I love so dearly and, and with agape, God-like love, uh, came up to me and said, I was looking at the picture of you from a couple of years ago, and why is it so white right here and here? What's going on, Daddy? I'm like, leave me alone. Quit being so rude. Love is not uh, boastful, it doesn't con- continually talk about how great it is like, well, I'm a good kid too. I'm a good kid too. Love is not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. Uh, this is this is what we call narcissism, is somebody only lives for themselves. Well, we talked uh many months ago about how parents cannot be narcissistic. You cannot be self-seeking as a parent. You're constantly thinking about the needs of of others as a parent. And as someone who's demonstrating love, uh we're we're also not going to be self-seeking. We're going to be thinking about the needs of others but how many of you know children who are this way like it's a shock when you hear a child say hey I was thinking about you today what wait what you were thinking about someone other than yourself today because children usually only think about themselves. love is not irritable it does not keep a record of wrong Daddy, remember when you did this? You're supposed to let that go, son, daughter. Like, don't, don't hold on to that anymore. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. How many of you have seen children, sibling rivalry? They love it when their, when their sister or brother gets in trouble. Like, they love, they want to tattletale and share about it. Hey, mom, dad, do you know what? What my brother or sister did, and they rejoice in unrighteousness. Like We don't call it that, but they love rejoicing in the sins of others. And so let's break this down, all right? Let's break this down. Let's talk about, we're going to slow down, as as people who are wanting to mature in Christ, we're going to slow down and think about uh, this love that Christ desires for us to show. Again, uh, Matthew 22, the greatest commandment, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So if we're taking our relationship, our vertical relationship with God, we need to understand that love is not boastful, arrogant, rude, self-seeking, these things. This is not how we love the Lord with all, but our, with all our heart. And then we take, secondly, the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So how do we love ourselves? How do we model this? How do we put this into, into practice? And then how do we love our neighbor as we're loving God and ourselves? So let's break it down. We'll, uh, we'll take each description of what love is not, what what, uh, what we would call an anti-biblical love or kid-like love or childish love. What is love not? So love is patient, love is kind, but love does not envy. Okay, so love does not envy. You know what it means to envy. I already kind of gave you a, a little uh, spoiler or, or told you a little bit about it already. It, to envy means that you have jealousy or that you uh, boil with envy or you want to be heated or I'm jealous for something else. Basically, you want what others have and as a believer this is what we're saying like in our relationship with God and this is something I deal with constantly okay so I'm pointing fingers at you and me because love is judgmental I think okay let's say that I'm pointing fingers at you and myself because this I deal with this often love does not envy and in my vertical relationship or my relationship with with God uh, with Jesus or through Jesus with God I have to remind myself often that love is not envious or love is not jealous, that I should be content with what the Lord has given me. So when we say things like I'm discontent or I wish I had this or, man, Gary has a lot of trailers. I wish I had one of his trailers, whatever the case may be. When we're saying this, uh, in our vertical relationship with God, it's showing, hey, do I really have a love for the Father? Am I content with what God has Am I content with what God has given me? And so with that, we have to come to a place in maturity that we're willing to say a description of love is that I would not be envious. I would be content with what I have. And the way that we do that vertically is to say, what has Christ done for me, we preach the gospel to ourselves how, how has he shown this love for me how can I be content with what he's already done for me, what he is doing for me what he's going to do for me, Proverbs 24 verses 1 and 2 great verses, but it points us to it starts out like this, Solomon says this do not be envious of evil men, most of the time in our lives when we start saying uh, I want this or I want this, our eyes are fixed horizontally we're looking at circumstances or things upon this earth, we're not modeling Matthew 6 33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness but instead we're we're modeling seek first the things of this earth our eyes are located on the things of this earth fleeting things temporary things instead of the eternal king and with that we become envious of truly evil men or evil things and so we have to come to a place where we say I want to be modeling I'm gonna slow down and in my thinking or my thought process, when I'm, when I'm becoming envious of some other, another person's circumstance or other people's things, I need to see what the heart of the matter is. Why is my heart longing for these things? Why can't my heart be content in what the Lord has already done for me? What he is doing for me and what he's going to do for me. So love is not envious or it does not uh, seek to be, uh, uh, Content with the things of this world or jealous of the things of this world, but instead wants to be content in the Lord. Love also, it says, love does not envy or boast. Love is not a braggart. Love is not somebody who's just trying to show off how great they are, needing too much attention, or they have a a desire for excessive self. Like let me tell you about how let me tell you how great I am. I joke often, uh, but even in my joking about how great I am, like you laugh at it, I know, but even in that I probably should tone it down a little bit. If I'm wanting to mature in Christ, it's not about me at all and love in a marriage relationship in a neighboring relationship in a work relationship in a god uh between a human and god relationship any time that we're constantly talking about or thinking about ourselves or boasting about ourselves then we're we're not demonstrating biblical Biblical love, and we see this, and I think marriage is probably a, a good example for this. When the conversation is constantly in your marriage, and this happens in in, in Manny's and I marriage a lot, my own faults here, uh, when you're constantly boasting or bragging about yourself. There's something that's gone, um, gone off or gone, gone on the wrong, on the wrong path or the wrong direction. We have to recenter our life, our marriage, our relationships back on the center, who it should be, Jesus, and begin boasting and bragging upon true biblical love. And so how do you put that into practice? How do you become not a boastful person? Stop talking about yourself. Like in conversation, when you hear yourself talking about yourself and you're wanting to mature, Lord, convict me of that. Change me of that. Let me be different. Let me start asking more questions like, uh, how, how was your day? Tell me more about what's going on. Uh, tell me more about how you, I mean, this is like counselor questions. Why do you feel that way? Why are you experiencing that? Asking the questions about them. Don't worry about me. Who cares? Let's talk more about, let's talk more about you. We see this in the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter two, when Christ, uh, he didn't count something, uh, the equality of God to be something to be grasped. But Instead, he let go of that. And so Paul asks us, he says, put on the mind of Christ. Don't be people who are braggarts or boastful. If you really want to slow down and show biblical love, then stop seeking to brag only about yourself. Don't be these narcissistic people who are constantly only thinking about, about yourself. It goes on to say that love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. It's cool because the Greek word means to be puffed up. It means to be inflated. Like I've inflated myself with the things that I'm not supposed to be inflated with. We joke a lot that in ministry sometimes it's like blowing up a balloon, and you're like you're so excited, and you put a bunch of air into the balloon, and then you lose your grip of the balloon, and it just makes that funny sound. You know that sound I'm talking about? That funny sound that everybody chuckles about, and the air all goes away, and you're like, oh, now I've got to start over again. This is what arrogant, unbiblical love looks like. When you're trying to inflate yourself with things of the world and not biblical things, trying to love God, love others, love yourself with things of this world, you're really just adding air into yourself, puffing your own self up, inflating your own self up, not with the Lord. And so I want to just give you this example. Maybe you've seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, like the original version. I think it was like in the 70s or something, 80s, I don't know, with that guy who's crazy. You know, I'm talking about Gene, I think is his name. Uh, he's the pastor at First Christian also. Uh, <laughs> uh, Willy Wonka, Chocolate Factory. Uh, okay, there's a scene where a girl named Violet, you are familiar with Violet? And she goes and she begins eating something that she was told not to eat. And uh, in that, she's experiencing this eating and she's, she's she eats the she fills our taste the first course of the meal and then the second course and then she gets to the dessert and uh, she's, she's uh, experiencing all of this. And then because testing and research was not completed, they had an issue and she began turning into a what? Does anybody remember? A blueberry, violet, turned into a blueberry. And she starts swelling up and, and getting really large, and her face turns blue, and she, she becomes the size or this, the human size of a blueberry. And then Willy Wonka says something extremely important here. He says the only way to fix her is to squeeze the juice out. It sounds awkward, I know, it's funny, but the only way to fix her, to get her back to the original state or the state that she's supposed to be in, is to squeeze the juice out. All right, 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ compels us or controls us. If you have a problem with arrogant love, the only way to go to the place that you're supposed to be, the way God intended for you to be, is to be squeezed by or controlled by the love of Christ. That we would not be arrogant and puffed up about ourself anymore, but we would be controlled and squeezed by the love of Christ. And I think what once we, okay, let me just say this. Once we want to or have the desire to mature in Christ and go like we talked about last week, like J.D. Beer says, go from Christianity 101 to Christianity 201, like once we're wanting to mature in Christ, that squeezing is not fun. Like that's a suffering almost. That we would be controlled and compelled by the love of Christ. That our arrogance would be squeezed out of us that we would be being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and not ourselves any longer. Like married people, you know this. Like if you've been married 60 plus years or six months, you know how difficult it is to demonstrate daily biblical love. And you may have a great grasp on it, but there are those days where boastfulness and envy and arrogance just rise up. Can't today just be about me? And in that you're hearing... Childish ways beginning to rise back up. And the only way for that to be fought so that you can mature in Christ And be uh, living and loving as Christ has asked you to live and to love is to be squeezed, controlled, compelled by the love of Christ so that we can put into place, put into action what he truly desires for us to do. And here's one of my favorite ones uh, because I I model this often. um, You can just ask Mandy and I've given her permissions. You can tell everything about me. Love is not rude. So it's not arrogant. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not rude. You remember uh, Full House from when I was a kid? Uh, the little girl named Michelle, she, also, she often said, uh, how rude. Uh, love is not rude. Basically, this is what it means. When Paul writes this inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's basically saying that love does not act improperly or unseemingly or without proper shape or form. And so if this is the case, and you find in your life daily that you're being convicted because you see that your love, your idea of love, it's not biblical, but instead is rude. How do you change? How do you become biblical in the way that you love? How can you stop being rude to your spouse, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your neighbor, to the uh, to the waitress, whoever it is, to the oil change place, whoever it is? Like, how do you show biblical love and stop being rude? Well, you have to put it into action Romans 12:1 and 2. That our spiritual act of worship is a transformation, a renewal of mind. Well, you need to understand this is just my personality. Okay, great. You got a, a terrible personality. But you have an incredible Savior who wants to save you from your personality who wants to change you and renew your mind into his likeness. I love what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. And if we're being transformed into the image of Christ, then our love should model that also. And when we see rude love, we can say that's an oxymoron. It can't happen. There can't be rude love. I need biblical love. And if my love is rude, I need to be being shaped by and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So if you're being convicted this morning about rude love and you know how rude you've been, or maybe maybe you're thinking about being rude later, or you're like me and just uh, you, you you know you just can't help it sometimes because you come from a sarcastic family and you don't mean to be rude but it comes across rude. What do you need to do? You take that conviction, that holy conviction from God's revealed word, from His Holy Spirit, and you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my rude love, and transform me into your love. Let me be patient and kind. Let me let me model love that is not rude. Let me be seeing that I'm being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Then he goes on to say, Paul says, uh, love is not um, boastful or arrogant or uh, envious or rude, and it does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. It's not a, love is not a, it's my way or the highway instead love models Matthew 16:24 love models denying self taking up cross and following Jesus vertical relationship first love is not self-seeking Think about your prayers. How often our prayers are about changing my circumstance. How often my prayers are like, Lord, if I just had this, Lord, if you would just do this for me, things would be so much better. Lord, if you would just do this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Everything's self-seeking. It's all about, it's all about myself. Even the church sometimes gets wrapped up in this. That we say, deny self, take up cross and follow Jesus. But the way that we love is self-seeking. You know, if we go out and show the community how much how great our popcorn is, then maybe everybody will show up here. Well, it's self-seeking. Our motive's not correct. I mean, the motive for love should be, the motivation for love should be what Christ has completed, the completed work of Christ, what he's doing, what he's going to do, motivating us to go share that good news of the gospel with the entire world, not a motivation like a self-seeking. I'm going to tell these people this so that they might come and sit on my pew. That's not... Correct Biblical love love does not insist on its own way. I mean, You've seen it in kids. Let's go back to kids for a second It's a kid like child like love when uh, when you hear and you're in the in the bedroom or as they're playing uh, Or on the playground as they're playing like this is the way the game's gonna happen And then one of them doesn't like the way it's going and so they change the rules Well, I didn't like that. I wasn't winning someone changed the rules a little bit It's almost like levington youth baseball. I'm gonna change the rules a little bit and make it where I can win And Like wait a minute. This is childish you can't just change the rules in the middle of the game. Yeah, but I want to win Well, you're self-seeking. And so then we then we try and grow up and we get married, and the same thing happens in our marriage relationships. Well, I want you to uh, to do this because this marriage is about me. No, it's not. It's about me. And then you guys start arguing. It doesn't happen at our house ever, right, Mandy? Uh, because we don't model unbiblical love at our house. We model uh, boastful love, and I'm boasting about it right now. So love is not insisting on its own way. If you want to be biblical in, in the way that you love God, the way that you love your neighbor, and the way that you love yourself, you don't insist on your own way. Instead, you deny self, take a cross, and follow him. And then this is a really difficult one. In my notes here, I barely wrote anything on this. Love is not irritable. Uh, my dad often said, "Just call him the uh, the washing machine because all he did was agitate people." If you know what I'm saying, uh, because he felt like all he was was an agitator, like it was his spiritual gift. Like the Lord uh, started handing out spiritual gifts, and like, okay, here's Rex, and we're gonna give him the gift of agitation or ir- or irritability. We're gonna give him the gift to go and irritate as many people as he could or can. And I feel like sometimes like I, that's that's poured over into me. Like if I can irritate then I feel like I'm showing godly love. But that's not biblical love. And here's I mean here's an example of this. Ephesians six four. When Paul's talking about how families should how families should work, how husbands should love wives, how wives should submit to husbands, how the church should be modeling that, what slaves should be doing, what children should be doing, all these things. He says in Ephesians six four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It's the same kind of example. Do not irritate them to the point of anger. I mean, husbands, how many of you would join me if somebody raised their hand with me and just, just say, like you love to and you know you know what happens. Happens, but you love to irritate your wife for whatever reason over the years. It's just like man This became a fun game just to irritate my wife and to provoke her to the point of of anger uh, we we who are desiring to grow up and to mature in Christ, we say love is not, and I see Marty right now, give him a the finger. Uh, love is not supposed to be unbiblical, but love is supposed to be biblical. And in that we say love is not irritable or irritating or agitating, but instead love is genuine, love is pure, uh, love is patient, love is kind. When we seek first the kingdom of myself, And about how I want things to go and how I want things to be done and how I want love to be displayed and my ideas of all those things, then I can change, I can change the description of love and say, but love is, is irritable. I told you I came from a family that loves to be sarcastic and I love to provoke my kids to anger. Like I don't see it as anger. But I love to pick and poke and irritate and agitate because that's the way my dad did. And then I'm reminded of Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19, where it says like a, like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and, uh, and really harasses people is a neighbor who says, I was only joking. Like a madman. Oh, you guys quit your belly aching, quit crying. Like I was just kidding with you. Yeah, but you agitate me to the point of anger. Well, it doesn't matter. I was just joking. Okay, well, love is not that way. Instead, love is always seeking the interest of others, having the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter two. We have we we want to be maturing in Christ, and maturing in Christ, we become like Christ even in the way that he loves. And then these last two descriptions of love are probably the most difficult to deal with. Uh, When I do pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling, these are the things that come up most often. So love is not boastful, it's not envious, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, and then these last two things. Uh, Love is not resentful, or love does not keep a record of wrongs. Ladies, if you've had a child, I do not understand you at all. Like, I've seen firsthand the difficulty from weight change, from stretch marks, from surgeries, from appetite changes, all these things, and then to experience childbirth. How do you not keep a record of that wrong? But instead, you love your children. Often you love your children more than anything else in this world. Yet, do you remember at all what they've done to you? I mean, that is a mo- that is a biblical model of true love. Like a child can do that to their parent, to their mom, and yet the mom still loves them. But a wife or a husband can forget to wash the dishes one time, <laughs> right, Zach? I Me and husband's the same way. Like you got a you got a hobby or a sports team or something. Like I, I love the Rangers, not this year particularly, but I love the Rangers. And, uh, and I watch them and keep up with their record and see why they always hire the oldest people there are in baseball to play for them and it never works out. All these things. And yet I can constantly forget all those wrongdoings, kind of, except for one time in right field in the World Series. But mostly I can forget all those wrongdoings and still love the Rangers. But my wife can sin against me one time many years ago and I can keep a record of that wrong. And this is where it gets really, really difficult. This is where it gets really personal. Because if I want to mature in Christ, if I want to grow up and no longer be a kid, if I no longer want to be childish, then all those wrongs that I've been keeping a record of need to be like my own sin. Removed, like Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, that is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So true biblical love says, no longer will I keep record of wrong, but instead I will treat others as Christ has treated me, removing sin as far as the east is from the west. No longer counting their trespasses against me, If I can be forgiven of my sins, surely my wife can be forgiven of the sins she's committed against me. Surely I can be forgiven of the sins that I've committed against her. If Christ can forgive me, then surely the neighbor who has done the act that he's done or she's done, or the store, or the co-worker, or the boss, or whoever it is, surely if Christ has forgiven you of your sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west, then surely you can take that love, you can take that love and do the same. Let I me mean, just to tell you this biblically, unforgiveness leads to death. And so if you have sin that's unforgiven and you meet the judge, the righteous judge, full of sin, no longer clothed with righteousness, let's say, that sin is punishable. By death. The wrath of God. And so if you're in a relationship now, what makes you think that you can continue on with unforgiveness in worldly relationships, horizontal relationships? Like if you want to mature in Christ and go from 101 to 201, my challenge to you, and I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading out on this, is that you would say the records... That I've been keeping of the wrongs that people have done to me. I want them to be cleared. And if that means I have to go to them and say, I want to forgive you. I want you to know about the forgiveness that I've received. And I want to forgive you also. And I'm asking that you would even forgive me of the things I've done to you. Be courageous and bold and model biblical love. Unforgiveness leads to death. No longer can marriages survive if there's records of wrong. No longer can neighboring survive for the glory of God if records of wrong are kept. No longer can can co-working relationships lead to the glory of God if unforgiveness and records of wrong are kept. And the last one says this, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Remember children who love to tattletale? On their siblings, Daddy, did you know that he did this today? Oh, he did. Wow. What did you do? I didn't do anything. I'm perfect. My sister and I had that conversation often. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The church for too long has been too quick to judge and point out the sins of others where Christ is begging us and imploring us and compelling us to be transformed into his likeness, to go and love God and love our neighbor and love ourselves, And yet we want to say, when we feel conviction, hey, I feel convicted of this, but Lord, don't you see their sin? And they rejoice when they're punished. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Do you know why love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing? Because love knows the punishment. Love knows the punishment for wrongdoing. If Christ is changing me and maturing me, and if Christ is changing my kids' hearts and shaping them into His likeness, and and truly Christ is center of their life, when they see their sibling doing something wrong, they don't want to go to the judge. Don't go point this out to the judge because they know the punishment. Instead, they would be patient and kind. And hopefully in their kindness, it would lead them, like we talked about last week, it would lead them to repentance. Look, you're going to have to confess this. You're going to have to repent of this. you have to change your ways because, because here's the punishment. But do you know the kindness of our Savior? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the punishment for wrongdoing or unrighteousness. If you love biblically, you do not love someone else's wrongdoing or unrighteousness, but instead you love the truth. Yes, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the grace that he's given us, the love that he's given to us and shows to us, says those wages can be paid with righteousness because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. And that is biblical love. So my challenge to you this morning, and I'm already at the invitation place. My challenge to you this morning is if you have holy conviction, if the Holy Spirit, through God's revealed word, is challenged you not to be rude or arrogant or boastful or envious or self-seeking or narcissistic or rejoicing at the wrongs of others, repent of that. Confess that sin before the Father. Take the steps to go and, and, uh, and reconcile with your brother or your sister. Take the steps to mature in Christ. Take the steps to be squeezed by the Lord, be transformed like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus so that your love for the Father with all that you are truly models biblical love and that your love for yourself and your neighbor truly models biblical love to the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for how incredibly awesome you are we thank you that your desire for us is not to perish your desire for us is to be given life and life to the fullest so God help us in these next few moments to respond in a way that gives you the honor and the glory I'm assuming Lord that there are people in this room that are similar to me who get so distracted by many things and have ideas of what love should be or how we should act, but also are convicted this morning about how they've been rude, how they've been boastful, how they've been arrogant, self-seeking. God, we know that these, these descriptions are not biblical love. So God, as you've provided a way for us to be reconciled to you through your son Jesus, and to be clothed in righteousness. God, that you've removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. God, help us not to go back to that sin or back to those old ways or those childish ways, but instead help us to grow up this morning. God, help us to be bold in our faith, in our confession of you, in our repentance. God, so that you might receive all glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.